Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 124 called Susan. Today's episode is sponsored by Vios Fertility Institute. You guys, I've had the pleasure of working with Vios for Fertility Rally, and I cannot say enough good things about how much Vios gets it when it comes to infertility, fertility, and the patient experience. Vios is built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. They have clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe. And as a patient, you'll notice a difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios physicians are board certified and fellowship trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists. Many of them have also experienced fertility treatment or a struggle to build their own family firsthand. The Bios Fertility Institute team works to create an individualized plan best suited for a patient's emotional, physical, and financial needs. I got to know Vios first through their social media handle, and I'm super impressed by their commitment to the fertility community overall. Through Instagram, Facebook, their blog, and other social media, they offer great resources and credible fertility education. Check them out in all the social places at Vios Fertility, and check out the blog on their website, viosfertility.com. To learn more about BIOS, to take advantage of that education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit biosfertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Thanks, BIOS. This episode of Infertile AF is brought to you by Ovofolic from Elan Healthcare, a new and trusted way to get inositol, which helps with PCOS. If you've got PCOS, listen up. People with PCOS know the importance of taking an inositol supplement with quality ingredients because not all inositol ingredients are the same. With Ovofolic by Elan Healthcare, you're getting the recommended 40 to 1 ratio of myo inositol and D chiro inositol. Ovofolic has no taste or smell, no preservatives or additives, plus the individual pouches guarantee easy dosing and optimum freshness. Elon Healthcare is a woman-owned and led company, which I love, and Dr. Perry responds to all customer emails herself and oversees every aspect of manufacturing. So check it out, guys. Guess what? Infertile AF listeners get 15% off Elon Healthcare products. Go to elanhealthcare.ca, that's E-L-A-N healthcare.ca, slash discount, slash Allison15, A-L-I-S-O-N 15, at checkout, and you can get 15% off. So use the code Allison15 at checkout at elanhealthcare.ca. Thanks, Elon. Okay, guys. So my guest today, Susan, is an incredible woman. And this is an absolutely phenomenal story. And it's different from a lot of our other stories because Susan has a genetic nerve disease called CMT, which affects the nerves outside the spinal cord and the brain. It's a progressive disease. And she was diagnosed with it at about two years old and she's living with it today. So she's going to tell us how CMT has affected her family building journey and how it ultimately led to her decision to at one point do IVF. She's also going to talk about the miscarriage that she had, the effects of the disease on her body, which she says sometimes feels like she's walking on hot, broken glass. And she's going to tell us all about the important work she's doing as the founder and CEO of the CMT Research Foundation. So I didn't know anything about CMT before I met Susan, and a lot of people, I'm guessing, don't either. So 
This is super educational, but also very interesting. So thank you so much to Susan for sharing her story and for the work that she's doing. And if anybody is suffering from CMT right now and wants to reach out to me, I can put you in touch with Susan and I'm sure she can answer any of your questions and just be there for you too. So thanks again for listening. And without further ado, this is Susan's infertility story. Susan, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Allie, thank you for having me on. Of course. I'm so excited to share your story because it's a little bit different from a lot of the other people who I've talked to on my show. You know, you're going to talk about living with a genetic disease and having to make decisions about having children because you wanted to screen out that disease. So let's start there. Tell me what is the disease and how does it affect you? So I have a genetic disease called CMT, Charcot-Marie-Tooth. We call it CMT because it's so much easier to understand than the French names of the doctors who named the disease back in the 1800s. But CMT, it's a genetic nerve disease, and it affects the nerves outside of the spinal cord and brain. So the nerves that go to your toes and go to your fingers, but also go to your thighs and go to your shoulders and go to your diaphragm and go to your nose and your eyes. Um, All those are part of your peripheral nervous system. And CMT is basically a genetic peripheral neuropathy. It's progressive. So that means that when you're first diagnosed, you might have some mild symptoms. And then as you get older, the CMT becomes more pronounced. Okay. So Um, when were you first diagnosed? I was first diagnosed, well, when I was two years old, my pediatrician in Houston, Texas, identified my disease. And he said, you know, to my mother, he said, you know, I think what this is, is CMT. And then he said to my mom, will you take off your shoes and let me see if she got it from you? Mm. And my mom took off her shoes and he said, yep, it's CMT. You both have it. And that was the first time that anybody had ever given a name to this disease that had run so rampantly through my family. Mm -hmm. So what was the, what was the doctor seeing when you guys took off your shoes? He was seeing high arches. He was seeing hammer toes. He was seeing discolored feet. He was seeing weak legs. He was seeing very skinny ankles Mm. and a really deformed foot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he did a little bit of sensory testing on me and on my mother running, you know, like a a prickly little wheel on our feet and we Mm -hmm. couldn't feel it. Oh, like, yeah, I think this is CMT. And, you know, my mom got it from her mom who got it from her dad, who got it from his mom. Okay. There's six generations of this disease in my family. Mm -hmm. And so it's a dominant disease, which means you've got one good gene and you've got one bad gene. And so I had a 50% chance of getting it from my mom and I got it. And then I had a 50% chance of passing it on to my children. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So let's, can, can I ask a little bit more? How did it, you said it's progressive. So how did it progress in you and, and where are you today with everything? So when I was a child, I knew I was physically different from my classmates Um, I was weak, I was uncoordinated, I was clumsy, and I frequently tripped over absolutely nothing. Mm. (laughs) In gym class, I was often picked last for teams. I was always out first in tag. 
monkey in the middle to this mm-hmm. day. I still hate dodgeball. In the oh, how did that affect you mentally as a kid? That must've been hard. It was really tough, you know, and I was ridiculed for the way that my body moved and I felt dorky and I felt awkward and mm. I felt, I really felt like the odd person out and I didn't know why mm-hmm. I didn't know why. Um, I thought something was wrong with me, but I didn't hear that anything was wrong with me. So maybe I just was a klutzy, clumsy kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And being ridiculed for the way that your body moved. I mean, it's tough. It's Mm -hmm. it's tough as a child to know that you've got to walk into that gym class and it's dodgeball. And you're like, all right, you know, I'm going to go in. I'm going to stay in the back. I'm still going to be targeted first and then I'm going to be out. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. That was it. Made good friends with the gym teacher on the sideline. You know, Right. Exactly. Part of the hard part about it was it wasn't really visible. It was visible in the fact that I moved differently, but it wasn't visible in the fact that I wore leg braces. It wasn't visible in the fact that I had a wheelchair. And so, and I wasn't talking about it. I didn't have a narrative about it. Mm-hmm. And so nobody really knew what was going on. They just knew that I moved in a funny manner and that I was just this dorky, awkward kid. Mm-hmm. When I was 17 years old, more than anything, I wanted to be in the chorus line of my high school musical. I went to high school outside of New York City in New Jersey, and our musical choreographer had been a Broadway dancer. Mm-hmm. And she did wonderful chorus lines that I had watched for a few years. And when it was finally my turn to audition, I just knew I wanted to be in that chorus line. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to prepare myself. And so I signed up for ballet and jazz and tap anything I could to improve my dance skills. Mm -hmm. And I was 17 years old and I am in ballet class and the ballet teacher says, okay, everyone point your toes, now flex, now point, now flex. And she comes over and she says, Susan, you're not pointing your toe. And what I'm able to do is I'm able to move my foot up and down, but really like using the strength to point my toes. Like I just Mm -hmm. don't have that muscle ability. Okay. So, you know, she's, she's, why can't you point your toes, Susan? I'm like, I'm pointing my toe. I don't understand what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. And she says, listen, if you can't point your toes, you're never going to succeed in ballet. You may as well go home. Oh my God. And so I left ballet class and I went home. My mom was at the kitchen table and I'm crying and I'm like, mom, what is wrong with me? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, Susan, it's just your CMT. I'm like, my, my, my what? She says, it's just your CMT. Haven't you noticed the way that your grandmother moves differently and the way that your uncle moves differently? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you're 17 and you had never had a name. I mean, obviously they diagnosed you when you were two, you said, but you didn't know what it was called all through growing up. Exactly. My parents never told me that I had anything going on. Whoa. Yeah. So I'm learning this when I'm 17 years old. And on one hand, Allie, I was just like, thank God there's a name for this. Like, this is actually like something that I have. It's not just like this weird kid. Yeah. You're like, I'm not a dork (laughs) in your own words, you know, not, not not physically anymore. Like I, there was a reason for that. It wasn't me. It was my genes, you know? Wow. How come they never told you or you guys didn't talk about it? I think it was, they didn't want the disease to define me. Hmm. They didn't want me to have a reason to not participate fully. Okay. So it was very liberating. Uh-huh. And 
and for me when we were able to talk about it. Now, my mom also has a disease, but she was far more mildly affected than I was. Mm -hmm. So I didn't notice anything different in her. Okay. Definitely in my grandmother and definitely in my uncle, but, but nothing in, in my mom. What did you notice in your grandmother? Uh, she walked kind of in a squatted position. She was kind of leaned over. Her hands were so contracted and they had lost all of the muscle on them. So they were very, very, very bony Mm. and they were hard and they were contracted. And when she picked up her silverware, she had to kind of do so with her knuckles. Mm -hmm. She lost all the fine motor skills in her hands. Oh, wow. And when she walked, she kind of shuffled and she wore funny shoes, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm you know, that was just my grandma, you know, that was, right. that was what she did. So back to you, were you in pain at all? Or was it just that you were moving differently and functioning differently, but did it hurt? I don't remember it hurting. Okay. I don't remember it hurting. I just remember being so frustrated that I couldn't walk on the balance beam mm-hmm. or I couldn't jump on the trampoline and land without twisting my ankles mm-hmm. or when we were playing tag around the neighborhood that I was always out first. That's mm-hmm. what I Mm-hmm. So when my parents told me about this disease, I had immense freedom. And then I decided to share it with all of my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh my gosh, guess what, you guys? I'm so excited. You know, there's, there's no <laughs> I have CMT, me. right? You know, like this is it. This is the reason. Yeah. What did um, everybody think? You know, okay, fine. You know, it was no, it was no big deal. So their reaction was just cool. And so my reaction became fine. And then I put CMT into a little box on my mental shelf and walked away. I figured if I'd lived the last 17 years with it and I knew how to do it, I can move on to the rest of my life without Mm -hmm. being, you know, an issue. Okay. And really, quite frankly, Allie, I don't have any other options, right? Right. Isn't a treatment. There isn't medicine. There's nothing to do to reduce the progression or to slow down the symptoms or change them. Mm -hmm. what matter would it would it make if i if i worried okay so in terms of the progression for you how had it changed was it like annually you could tell that it was like getting worse or like what did it look like for you you know i liken it to putting a lobster the, the way people cook lobsters you know there there are two ways you can stick a live lobster in a boiling pot of water and you can hear it like clacking against the pan you know in the pot and you know eventually it stops clacking or you can put a live lobster in cold water and slowly turn on the heat and he slowly, you know, dies. And the way CMT feels is kind of opposite from like an ALS or an MS, which is like, you have that moment where Mm -hmm. you notice something's different. Mm -hmm. CMT is more like putting me in the cold pot of water and turning Mm -hmm. heat. And so I noticed I was tripping more in college and I was on a big campus. Mm-hmm. And so as I tripped through college, it was just, thankfully, I had really great friends who took care of me and they mended my bloody knees and they took care of my wounded ego, like mm-hmm. I had great friends. I was really frustrated with the way that I tripped and the way that I was frequently spraining my ankles. Mm. That's what I noticed. Mm-hmm. And I committed to starting to work out when I was in college. And so... I loved the gym and I loved what was the precursor of the elliptical machine, which was the Versa climber. Cause that didn't require any real coordination. My feet okay. in the same position. Right, right, right. But put me on the treadmill or in a step class, which is what, what we were doing then. Yes. I couldn't do that. I was okay. 
terrible dancer and I had zero coordination and I just didn't have the strength to endure 60 minutes of stepping up, stepping back, stepping up and trusting that my foot was going to land safely. Right. So this is a very rare neurological disease. You are the co-founder of the CMT Research Foundation, which is a nonprofit dedicated to raising money for research to cure it. What can you tell us about CMT? Like how many people have it? What are the statistics? So there are 3 million people in the world who have CMT, about 125,000 people in the United States. At least that's what's recorded. And that is what is acknowledged by the Center for Disease Control. Mm -hmm. I actually think that the number is much higher than that. For one reason, there are 18 people in my family who have CMT and only three of us have a genetic diagnosis. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, And part of that is because there's nothing we can do, Allie, when there's a multi-generational disease that we know what the course of the disease is. And you go to your doctor and they say, well, there's nothing I can do for you. Like, what's the point? Right. Hmm. And so when there's this long family history and there's nothing to do, most people don't worry about getting treatments or seeking treatments or seeking any medical intervention. Okay. So in in terms of treatment, there's nothing in terms of like acupuncture, alternative medicine, therapy, physical therapy, anything like that? Nothing that's documented, well-studied and proven to work. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people use physical therapy to strengthen the muscles that are not affected by CMT Mm -hmm. to help with their gait and their function. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people use acupuncture and acupressure for pain because Mm -hmm. there is a pain component as the disease progresses, you do get that nerve pain, mm. tingling, you get the um, like bugs crawling on your body, you get the mm. itching like fire ants. Sometimes it feels like I'm walking on hot, broken glass. Ooh. And so the I, I know people who've done the acupuncture and acupressure for the pain mitigation, mm-hmm. um, but it's not mending the nerves. It's mm-hmm. not rebuilding the muscles. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not treating the disease. It's just really all palliative care at this point. Gotcha. So since you've started the foundation, have you learned a lot more about the disease and different like research, you know, potential cures or people like are people actively working on finding a cure? Yeah, there's a really robust community of researchers and pharmaceutical companies and patient groups that are all working together to find treatments and cures. And in fact, the pipeline five years ago was almost empty. Mm -hmm. And now there are over 20 different different, um, pharmaceutical companies that are working in CMT. The reason for that is one, it's a genetic disease. And with the advancement of gene therapies, you know, there, there are ways to, to treat the disease Mm -hmm. uh, and avenues that people are pursuing. And then the other reason is because for being a rare disease, we're actually a pretty common rare disease Mm -hmm. and with no treatment, there's a huge business case. So pharmaceutical companies hear about CMT, they hear the statistics about CMT, they hear that it's genetic, they hear that it's dominant and they're like, you know, we need to get into this game. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big part of what we've done at the Research Foundation has been to scream the CMT story to anyone who will listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've brought in new pharmaceutical companies. We've brought in new academic researchers, all because they see the business case and the case for support and really, truly the impact it can have on 3 million people's lives. Right. Does it seem to you like there's a lot of people that go undiagnosed and just think that they're uncoordinated? For lack of a, you know, but not to simplify it, of course, but do you think that like some people just don't even know? 
Yes, I do. I think that there are many people who don't even know. Mm-hmm. One of my board members, they went 10 years without a diagnosis before mm-hmm. they got one. Okay. Um, they knew that something was going on, especially as they were watching their son get older. They started seeing symptoms when he was about five or six and they started seeing the symptoms progress and they knew that it wasn't just that he wasn't an athletic kid. Mm-hmm. So, but it took them 10 years to get a diagnosis and they had to go all the way to the NIH to get a genetic diagnosis, which is a little unjust in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. it's a dominant gene and there are plenty of commercial tests for it. Mm -hmm. So if a neurologist knows to look for peripheral neuropathy and thinks that there could be a genetic component, it should be one of the first things that they do when they see patients. Okay. But there's a lack of an education even in the medical world about CMT because there's nothing a doctor can do about it. And doctors get into medicine because they want to help people. And so they're going to focus on the diseases where they can help people, not where they can't help people. Mm -hmm. So there hasn't been a tremendous amount of deep education about it the way that there has been for Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or ALS or MS or any of the other neurodegenerative diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we know that when we deliver treatments, pharmaceutical companies are going to be advertising CMT and doctors are going to know that there's something they can do. And we're going to see the prevalence, I think, tick up tremendously. Right. Okay. Well, it's great that you're, you know, getting the word out, obviously, and hopefully people listening to this, you know, I've, I had certainly never heard of it before. So, you know, hopefully we can reach a lot more people through this as well. So again, thank you for sharing all this. Let's pivot over to your family building. So you and your husband, you know, what did you know right away that you were going to explore IVF when it came to having babies? No, we didn't, in fact. And I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and go back to the the family planning story in the sure. when I I met the guy in college who I thought was going to be the one. He ended our relationship when he found out about CMT because he didn't want to have to deal with children who had a disability. He didn't want to deal with a wife who had had a disability. Whoa. He couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty, um, that was pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. How long were you guys together? Uh, three years. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it was always something that we thought we could deal with. And then when push came to shove, it was nah. Really? But had you ever talked about like doing assisted reproductive therapy or anything like that or treatments? Because I was in college. We weren't. (laughs) Not very sexy to talk about (laughs) with your boyfriend, right? No. And and we were both looking at careers ahead of us that, you know, that we knew that that was going to be a later conversation. Right. Okay. Okay. So he ended the he ended the relationship, which was wow. a huge blow. And it's rough. Yeah, it was rough. I totally felt like damaged goods on that one, Allie. It was it was terrible. But a couple years later, I did meet the one for real, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's my husband. And on our first date, I was like, I'm not going through that heartbreak again. So on our first date, I told him all about CMT, okay. and he is an athlete, and he is an Uber athlete. He is a phenomenal athlete. And he said, you know what? That's okay. I, 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 I don't care. And I was like, you do understand. I'm not going to be able to snow ski with you. And I'm not going to be able to run marathons with you. Like that's not in the cards. If we continue this relationship, mm-hmm. okay, I've done all that. I don't need to do that now. Mm-hmm. So we got married. <laughs> wow. What a guy. All right. That's yeah. Good riddance to the other dude. Seriously. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a great guy. Okay. And, I knew that I always wanted to be a mom. 
motherhood was always in my future. Um, even to the point where in my college interviews, the first one, I was asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a mother, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was getting a degree in education because it was like the bridge to motherhood. I knew I really wanted to, to do that. And I also knew that I was going to be rolling the dice on passing CMT to any of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, but my philosophy was, I was really glad my mom decided to have me. And I wasn't going to not have children because of this. We were just going to maybe do it differently. I was going to do parenting differently. Um, In what way? um, Be more vocal about it. Mm. Um, If my child had symptoms, we were going to name it. And we were going to talk about what we could do differently and what Mm -hmm. we could do, what we could focus on the positives rather than trying to assimilate into the dodgeball classroom is what can we do differently that brings out the best in you. So when it came time for my husband and I to start planning our family, we didn't have any hesitations about rolling the dice. Um, And I was really fortunate because my OB had family members that had CMT, which was very strange. And he knew how serious CMT could be. Um, He was very compassionate about the legacy piece, and he made sure that I knew what I was doing when I was rolling the dice genetically. Mm -hmm. We may have talked about IVF as being an option, but I don't recall that we did. Um, He knew I was eager to start a family, and he knew that if CMT was in the cards, that I was happy to deal with it as a mother. Mm -hmm. And my husband was comfortable dealing with it as a father. So we rolled the dice and like many women, my first pregnancy resulted in a miscarriage. Mm, So sorry. Um, Yeah, it it was, it was a brutal loss for sure. But before my next cycle could start, I was pregnant again Mm -hmm. and my pregnancy was awesome. And really there's that hormone that relaxes all of your joints to prepare your body for birth. And I felt that in my feet and in my hands and in my legs and in my ankles and in my hips. Like I felt my muscles relax. Wow. Was that a first? It felt amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I I felt my hips were looser, you know? I mean, I just, I loved being pregnant and each phase I met with awe. Uh, I felt like I was definitely going to do this again. So I wasn't hyper-focused on cherishing every moment as if it were my last. And I just enjoyed, I loved being pregnant. I just Mm -hmm. loved right before my daughter was born. My OB introduced me to a woman who was in the office at the same time as I was. And she also had CMT Mm. and she came in and saw me big and pregnant. And she was, her first question was, so your baby doesn't have CMT. I said, I don't know. And she, she was distraught and angered and infuriated with me. Like, how could I choose to keep this pregnancy knowing that there was a 50% chance that this baby might have this disease? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she had terminated multiple pregnancies because she had them genetically tested early and they all had CMT. So she terminated. Wow. Okay. And that wasn't a decision I was willing to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I was glad my mom had me. And I wasn't going to terminate a pregnancy because of CMT. We made, we made that active decision. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks later, I delivered this beautiful baby girl and I invited my mom into the labor and delivery room to be there with me for the birth. And it was really amazing because my mom was a labor and delivery nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, She was also a Lamaze instructor in the seventies Cool. and pregnancies and births and new life. Like, they were just true miracles in my mom's eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was important to me that she was 
there to witness the birth of her first grandchild. And remember, my mom has CMT also. Right. So the moment my daughter was born, something in me shifted. And I was looking at three generations of women in one room. Mm-hmm. And the reality of passing on this legacy hit me really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my mom and I was like, we have to do something about CMT. She's mm-hmm. not going to have the childhood that you and I had. We've got to go out and do something. Mm-hmm. And that's really what started my journey to end this disease. But did they, did she have it? She has never been tested, Allie. And the reason why she's 17 years old now. And the reason why we never tested her was because she still has no symptoms. Mm -hmm. And when there's no treatment, they say test when they have symptoms, test when um, there's a treatment, test when she's thinking about planning her family or test when she just wants to know. Mm -hmm. And now she hasn't had the desire to know, nor have you. No, mm-mm, no, okay. she's very athletic. Uh-huh. Um, she doesn't seem to struggle the way she can move her toes, the things she can pick up with her toes. It looks like she's managed to dodge the bullet, although uh-huh. we don't know until we get her genetically tested. Okay. So when she does start to think about family building, you think you might find out then? Definitely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. That's so interesting. I have the same choices that I've had. Right. So how does that feel? to have dodged the bullet? Like, does it feel like a huge sense of relief for you as her mother? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm -hmm. I've seen cases of CMT that symptoms really first started in their twenties and thirties. So I don't say I've dodged the bullet. I don't want, I I don't want to tempt fate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) to throw that out there that I've, you know, to have that, I'm going to use the word arrogance to say that I dodged the bullet. We will see. We will see. Mm -hmm. I think what I feel more than anything is terrifically empowered to change the course of the disease for everyone. And if my daughter ends up being a benefactor of that, then that will be amazing Mm -hmm. if she needs it. And hopefully she won't. Right. So do you, so you did not go down the IVF route at, at the end of the day, right? Not you for had, her. Right. Okay. Okay. But then she's six months old and I'm at my grandmother who had CMT. I'm at her funeral uh-huh. and she um, had siblings and nieces and nephews with CMT. And so there are 15 of us sitting around this room who have CMT and probably a room of 30, 35 people. There are probably 15 of us who have CMT. And my mother's younger cousin was telling a story about how he and his wife had just done in vitro fertilization to screen out CMT. Mm -hmm. And everybody looked at me in the room because I'm holding my six month old daughter in my lap. Mm -hmm. And my sister said, did you know about this? I was like, I had no idea. Mm. that out. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And the flight home, my husband and I decided future children were going the IVF route. Okay. So we did. Okay. So we did the pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, uh-huh. which is when you do all that. You We started interviewing IVF doctors. We met a few doctors who were pretty confident that they didn't want me as a patient because they sort of felt like I was trying to play God or design it or you know, genetically design an Uber baby, you know? Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because I, I would imagine that it's maybe a little bit controversial. I think, you know? of course, my opinion is like every family planning 
story is it's a person's individual right to choose. I agree. And that we have a lot of technologies to help the way that we can. We did not get to choose eye color, hair color, gender. The only thing that we had the option for genetically testing was whether they had CMT or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we did the, the IVF route. Um, and we went through all of the testing that you, every couple goes through, you know, the hormone testing and the sperm mm-hmm. quality and the psych visits. And we found the right doctor who agreed with our philosophy and we had successful egg harvesting and successful egg fertilization. I think uh-huh. we had 11 successful embryos Wow! and six of those came back with CMT. Okay. And five of those did not. Okay. So we then decided to transplant one or transfer one at a time into my uterus because we didn't want to have multiples. Mm-hmm. That was something that my, my husband really didn't want. How did you feel about those statistics? I mean, it's kind of right on par with the 50%, right? Five and six. Yeah. I mean, practically it felt, it felt right. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. You know, I was delighted that I had 11 vital embryos only because I only have one ovary, but they were able to harvest what they needed and fertilize what they needed. And that felt, it felt pretty, pretty promising and pretty good. Is the one ovary a result of CMT? No, I had a dermoid cyst removed when I was in my twenties, um, on my, on my right ovary that came out. And it, I was always told it would never be part of a fertility issue Mm -hmm. and it, feels like it was never part of a fertility issue. My one ovary just did just fine with a stimulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we got, we got the embryos that we wanted. Unfortunately, none of those embryos took. Oh, wow. And Sorry. we transferred three in three different times. Mm-hmm. One was really amazing because my mom came into the room when they were transferring one of the embryos. And you can imagine this labor and delivery nurse from the 60s, a Lamaze instructor from the <laughs> 70s. Now she's in this room with all this technology and she's actually watching an embryo being transferred into her daughter's uterus. Like so cool. Yeah, it was it was pretty phenomenal. That if that's you know an offshoot of my experience and my story is that gift that I was able to give her. That, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have any viable embryos out of it. You did the tr- three transfers? We did three transfers. Okay. And then decided to stop or what happened then? Yeah. There's only so much heartache a girl can take. Yeah. So one marriage and three unsuccessful transfers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being jacked up on those pregnancy hormones, it was just, it's brutal. It mm-hmm. was a really brutal winter and spring. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, you know, I can be grateful for the one that I have. She's Mm -hmm. an amazing daughter and Mm -hmm. I can be, I can be grateful for her. And I, because I didn't really consider myself to be infertile. I mean, I had had a miscarriage and I had had three unsuccessful transfers, but I felt like that was all assisted. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, if I really do want to have more children, we could just continue to roll the dice, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't put that genie back in the bottle. You know, when I knew now that there were ways to avoid CMT, I felt like I couldn't be irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But as luck would have it, I ended up pregnant. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Of course. There's so many twists and turns, Susan. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I carried for eight weeks and that was an unviable pregnancy as well. Mm. 
that resulted in a DNC, which is just another level of hell that Mm -hmm. I never would wish on anyone to experience. Mm -hmm. So now I'm mourning five losses, Mm -hmm. you know, and got one beautiful, amazing child in front of me. Right. So my husband and I just said, you know what, let's stop the heartache. Let's abandon this idea and let's really focus on what we have in front of us. Yeah. Okay. So we did. Tell me a little bit more about the Research Foundation and where people can find you if they want to read more about it or donate or get involved in some way and what you guys have planned you know, next for the foundation and, and what you're working on. Yeah, thank you for that. So you can find us at cmtrf.org. So CMT, Country Music Television is how I like to say it, (laughs) rfresearchfoundation.org. And um, you can learn about the disease and certainly make a donation for sure. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about that we're doing is really going back to the genetics and going back to having the opportunity to modify the way that the genes express themselves in the body. You know, you, you, everyone has heard of CRISPR, which Mm -hmm. is actual gene editing Mm -hmm. and we're not pursuing any gene editing programs right now because so we are pursuing programs that talk about the way that the genes express themselves in the body. So we're not changing the genes and we're not changing the genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. We're changing the way that the gene expresses in the body and then therefore makes protein. And then that protein has the negative effects on the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And we have seen genetic breakthroughs in diseases like spinal muscular atrophy and Duchenne muscular dystrophy and inherited blindness that people are either A, getting treatments early enough that they're not getting any symptoms, Mm -hmm. or B, that their symptoms are being alleviated by having these treatments. And that feels like such a great avenue because these treatments are something that one would take regularly. And as long as they're taking the treatment, the gene expresses itself differently. Mm -hmm. And when one stops taking the treatment, it stops. So if there are any adverse effects or if they're technology improves or something changes, it's not a permanent solution. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah. So So, that's really exciting. And for the first time, you know, when you see mice that have been genetically modified to have CMT and they fall off the balance beam the way that I have, or they mm -hmm. trip their feet the way that I do, or, or, you know, they can't run across the beam fast, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they get the treatment. And they look like the animals who don't have CMT. Mm. You just kind of stop in your tracks and say, okay, maybe these kids aren't ever going to have to know the future that I had as a child. Wow. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again, Susan. Your story is so incredible. And again, check out the CMT Research Foundation for all the important work that Susan is doing. Reach out to me if you want to be put in touch with her and we will go from there. I also want to tell you guys that Fertility Rally is available as an option for community and support if you are going through this shitty, shitty journey that so many of us go through. We are there for you. We get it. We've got weekly support groups. We've got tons of events. We have our next Fertility Rally Live, which is in the works that will be coming up this fall. 
So lots of things going on. Definitely check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally and also our website, which is fertilityrally.com. So thanks again for listening and I will talk to you guys next time. 